Lord, we do uh, pour out our praise to you. This morning we are reminded you are a good, good father, and that is who you are. And that we are loved by you, and that's who we are. That's good just to stop and to have some space where we can be reminded of that reality in our lives. If anybody is needing this morning to have a sense of how good you are and of how loved they are, I pray that your spirit would already be at work in speaking and communicating that into their heart and their life. And we pray in the name of Jesus, your good, good son. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. It's getting, uh, man, I think spring is here finally. Last Sunday was kind of chilly. Jordan, speaking of last Sunday, where is he? Is he, is he around? Can I say what I really wanted to? Oh, oh no, he's okay. Um, no. Uh, Jordan, great job last week. We've uh, talked with leadership. It's, it's only going to take the whole summer to, to straighten out what you did, but other than that, we're <laughs> not a couple weeks, just three months, so... No, I appreciate what he had to say and uh, the things that he said. Um, the, the whole operation, not operation, the <laughs> compassion child, um, our international group's been sponsoring a, a fellow from, a young man from Bolivia, gosh, seven or eight years, five or six, I'm not really sure, Leonidas is his name, um, just got a letter from him recently. Because of his involvement with compassion, he's also involved those are frequently tied, I mean, they are, to a local church. And he, in his last letter, he talked about that um, a lot of young men, because the country, the, just the economics are not good, there's a lot of just not good things where he is. And he said there's this group of young people in his uh, city that kind of just because of the hopelessness, there's a name for them, I don't remember what he said their name was, but he said that they will... Part of just their expression of their, desp their despair is they will slash themselves. The suicide is really high among young people. And he talked about that because of his involvement with compassion in the church and all that he and his family have come to know that God loves them and they have hope. And here's a picture of him holding a, pic holding a hand with Jesus. And this is one of those guys you can tell that, that slashed themselves and he even put in Jesus eyes like a tear for that so you if you I encourage you to do this it is a way to have a really big impact and Lisa totally correct this is just another way that you can we can be restoring all things to God just one person at a time and the difference that you make in that child's life is really huge uh, Jordan you talked about the flood sale bake sale right also on Easter, we raised money for Mexico, for Mark and Chacho with the refugees and raised $2,000 on Easter Sunday, so great job for you guys. That was awesome. Can we have 2000 That's good. They've got a lot of people they're needing to feed and take care of and share the gospel with. We did the story. You know, we finished that up on Easter. There were people who were not here on Easter, and they're like, I still don't get, like, how did that tie in to, uh, to Tangled? And... I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but wh what I always do with the story when I end is, is I tell people, this is the story you love. So if you weren't here on Easter, his story is the story we love. And the stories we love are stories of love giving them, somebody giving themselves in sacrifice, giving up their life 
to save another person and how in some of the really good stories we love, there's a resurrection of that person. And the thing I didn't say that morning is some of the stories we also love are stories of the return of the king when a king has been deposed and everything gets bad and then the king returns and restores order. The Lion King, the Robin Hood story, uh, King Arthur, Lord of the Rings, those are, those are return of the king stories. We love those stories too. And again, the story of Jesus is very much that. And all I did, if, if you were here, I just went through the movie, how that it starts once upon a time, how everything was great and perfect, and then how that moment ended, and how evil came into it, and then how Eugene sacrificed his life for Rapunzel, and, and then was resurrected, like, got his life back, and how that that story ended, uh, she got restored, went home, restored to her family, and that story ends like all good stories, right? That she was that princess worth waiting for, the kingdom rejoiced, everything was restored to good, the party lasted a whole week, ours is going to last a whole lot longer than that, and how she ruled well in her kingdom, and the dreams came true all over the place, and they lived happily, happily ever after again. And so, if you weren't here, I always tie it into. It's the, it's the story that we love. And if you remember, forget that guy. Uh, if you remember, the thing I love about Tangled is if you go back and watch the beginning. So if you weren't here Easter, watch it again because the first words of the movie are this. This is the story of how I died. And that's what I love about this because if God were to tell us his story, he would say, this is the story of how I died. So if you weren't here, that's just, uh, it is the one true story. And it's the story that we all love. Um, just this week, there is somebody who's out in this congregation, even this morning, who sat down and shared the story of God with three people who are investigating. Uh, so that's great. That's the intent, is that we put it to use and we share this with people. Um, just one other quick thing, if you don't mind. You know, I, we talked about that the story, of, that the Bible is a drama in three parts. Remember this? Creation, corruption, restoration. And that the restoration is now partial, but someday it will be complete, right? And it's, so it's creation, corruption, and then restoration. And the restoration is through redemption. The word redemption there is really big. It's through Jesus' redemption that the restoration is possible. The story of God fits this. I just want you to see that when you're thinking of the drama of God's story, the story of God, it's all the same. It's about creation, how things became corrupt, how Jesus came to, re to redeem everything, how restoration is now partial through us being sent to heal, and one day it will be complete. So it's all, it's all the same thing. And just, I think so much narratively in my life and in everything about the Bible through this story, so just, just wanted to make that connection. Uh, do you know these guys? How many of you know who these guys are? If you do, don't, don't shout it out, just hang on to it for a little bit. Well, I've got a lot of backstory to do today. Um, we're actually concluding today what should have been concluded the end of February, which was, you know, our journey onward that we started. We had the snow day, remember that? The snow came and church got canceled. Well, this is what we were going to do that day. And if you remember, as we, we were talking about, as we move from here, this new season of our family's life together, um, we talked about our captain, right? Jesus is our captain. We talked about our quest, our quest being 
living for in the kingdom of God, that story, being restorers. We talked about our quest also being living for God's fame. We want Him to be famous. The quest is becoming kingdom people, being people who are formed and conformed, transformed into Jesus' image, and people who are followers of Jesus' way. We are known as people who follow His way, so that was our quest. And then we were, the intent was to end that with three things. That anytime you're on a journey, you need three things. And one is you need a map to show you the way. You need companions. And then we never got to the, the last one. And so that is, that's actually what we're going to do today. Um, yeah, and the whole thing, when we talked about companions, remember we talked about having covenant friends, people who deeply love God and who walk with you and are moving you towards that walk with God and having a community of those kind of people, Tim, Wright talked about his community, his companion of friends. And, you know, we need those on the journey, right? To help us on the journey, so to speak, at night, sitting around the campfire, laughing, reviewing the day's story, talking about the next day's journey, all of that. We really need companions. But there's one more thing that we need even more deeply than companions. And it is that we need a guide. We all need a guide. And I want to turn to some of the last words of our captain, Jesus, to point this out. So in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I want you to go, it's really in the, the original language, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, yeah, speaking of baptism, we just last night baptized three ladies who uh, have accepted the Lord. Pretty exciting. Two of them are actually heading back today. So, But his command to go and make disciples. Um, we've talked, you know, Jesus was creating a movement, not an organization. He was creating a movement of God, a kingdom movement. And that movement, he had a mission, it's missional, but that movement is also multiplying. There's this multiplying component, and that's what he's talking about. His explicit command that we multiply through making disciples, passing on to others what has been given to us. And we spoke about this about two months ago, but that word disciple in Greek is mathetes. Somebody asked me, by the way, a question on a card. Why, what, what's the deal with Greek? Well, the New Testament was written in the Greek language because Greek was spoken in that whole Mediterranean world. It was the one language that everybody spoke in that part of the world. And so the whole New Testament's written in Greek. So if I reference Greek, I'm referencing the language it was written in. And Greek is really awesome to study because it has a lot of detail to it that sometimes doesn't get into our English. And this is one of those examples. Because that word mathetes is best translated probably apprentice. And, you know, we still have some people who apprentice now, but in the old days, I mean, long ago, that was the main way people learned a job is you would, if you were going to become a blacksmith, you would go apprentice with him and you would watch and learn through trial and error and experience. It was learning by doing. And so when Jesus talks about making disciples, that's what he's talking about, are making people who are pr apprentices, people who, who learn by, by watching and by doing. People who learn to live in the kingdom of God, to live under his reign, to become followers of his way. 
And this is what he modeled for us. I mean, it wasn't just his command for them, it's what he modeled. Throughout his ministry, he embodied this multiplication by making apprentices. In John 3.22, I love this text. Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them, and he baptized people. Um, I love this, he spent time. Again, the Greek word for that is, is diatribo. Do you want to say, give that a shot? Diatribo. Okay. Dia means to be beside. Tribo means to rub, to rub between a well-worn path where the feet are constantly rubbing on a path. It means literally to rub shoulders, to hang out with, to rub off onto somebody. Isn't that cool? Jesus like rubbed off on his disciples. That's what it was doing. It meant he walked with them side by side, shoulder to shoulder, life on life. He was walking with them. He was living. He was modeling to them what it meant to become an apprentice of him, to follow in his way, to be a kingdom type person. Perhaps the person who most exhibited this was the greatest model of this rubbing shoulders with people and rubbing off, creating apprentices, was the Apostle Paul. And his greatest apprentice was Timothy. In Acts 14 is the first time um, Timothy, it's likely his conversion. We're not told explicitly, but it's, we're pretty sure it was in Acts 14, on, that, on Paul's first missionary journey. On his second journey in Acts 16, he runs into Timothy, and Timothy is recommended to him as somebody that could maybe walk alongside him and become an apprentice of Jesus by following him. And so Paul takes him along, and in Acts 16 and 17, Paul takes Timothy with him on his mission journeys. Then in Acts 18, 19, and 20, after Timothy has apprenticed and learned, he actually sends him out with others, launches his, him, him out on his own mission to some Greek cities. And then eventually, um, they parted ways, and then Paul eventually appointed Timothy to become the lead follower of the community of Jesus in the city of Ephesus. He became the pastor of the city there. And Paul, even though they weren't brushing shoulders much anymore, Paul continued correspondence with Timothy through his letters of First and Second Timothy. And what I love about Timothy is Paul died, we think, in 68 B.C. Timothy lived for 30 more years, walking alongside people, shoulder to shoulder, life on life, apprenticing people in the way of Jesus. So Paul got it, that it was all about multiplying disciples this intentionally walking with somebody to learn what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, to train people to be followers of Jesus' way. So Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy um, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, a really key passage on this, where he says, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And what's really cool is when you look at this verse, there's actually four generations of followers of Jesus in this. You've got Paul, who's apprenticed Timothy, and he says, I want you to entrust to reliable people for you to rub shoulders with them so they will rub shoulders with others who will be qualified to teach. So this is the intent of Jesus, this multiplication through this discipleship, through apprenticing. Um, that's what I love about Paul is how much he got that. But it wasn't just for those first followers and it wasn't just for Paul. It's for all of us. 
this making of disciples, of apprentices, this entrusting to reliable people who will teach others. That's something that all of us are called to do. That's why Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we call it the great co-mission. It is our mission with God to be on mission with Him and multiplying the life of Jesus in others. And that was his genius, right? He was creating this missional movement that grew through multiplication. That was the genius of what he did. And I'm telling you, that, you can read Rodney Stark, the early Jesus community in the first 400 years grew faster than any movement in human history because it was focused on this multiplication, this teaching others to obey everything he commanded, this entrusting to reliable people, those who will entrust it to others. Now, the whole time we've done this series, this is the journey onward. If you looked at your bulletin, uh, Lisa helped with this. The, that photo is actually very intentional. It's been intentional all along um, because that's a photo of Sherpas. Sherpas are men from Nepal, and they're regarded as the greatest mountain climbers in human history. And those names that I showed you earlier, those are some of the most famous Sherpas but they're unrecognizable to people who are outside of that Everest climbing community. The best known is the last one, Tenzing Norgay. He is the one who helped Edmund Hillary to summit Everest in 1953. And every year, hundreds of climbers attempt to summit Everest with the help of Sherpas. And nobody can make it without these guys. Um, they prepare the route, they fix ropes, they set up camp, carry supplies, they know the way, and they take hundreds of up, people up to the summit. And the thing about Sherpas that's most important isn't just their skill, but they just know the mountain. They know the way to the summit intimately because they've been there and they've done that. And so as we move forward in a community, this journey onward, we need a map. That's the Word of God. We need companions, we need a group of people around us as we travel on that journey to help us out, right? We all need a fellowship of the rings on the quest, but we need something else. We need a Sherpa. We all need a guide. We all know, need somebody who knows the mountain a little better than we do. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to briefly talk about what a guide or a Sherpa does. I think a good guide does five things. First thing is they know the map, right? They know the map. They're familiar with it. They have that bird's eye view of it. They know the big picture of it. They know it well. And a good guide knows the map. He's acquainted with it. He or she is acquainted with it. They know it well. They've been in it. They live it. They obey it. Not perfectly, right? But their heart is to, is to do that. Not only do they know the map as a whole, that big picture, right? They know that. But they also know the map on that small view. They know it up, up close. They know the key points, the landmarks, the navigational markers. They understand what the map teaches us about how to live our individual story into God's story. Hebrews 5.14 says they have trained themselves through constant use how to use this to help guide others in the way of Jesus. And they not only know it, uh, but they know 
they know how to teach others to use the map, to show other people how to apply this to their life. Good guides or good Sherpas also know the train because they've been there. They're not taking you to some place they know in their head, but they're taking you down paths they've already traveled. So they know the paths to take. They know the best route. They know the things to avoid, the pitfalls, the dangers, the shortcuts to stay away from. Because they've been there and they've done it. Not perfectly, but they've, they've been ahead on the trail. Further along than somebody new who hasn't been down the trail, right? Does that make sense? So they know the map well. And they know, they know the terrain of the spiritual life. They also know where you are and who you are. That's what a good guide does. Um, yeah, they know where you are on the journey. They know that lay of the land. They know the spiritual landmarkers. They know the seasons, the storms. They've been in the wilderness, right? So as they go with you, they just say, oh, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've taken that path. Don't worry, we're not lost. I know right where we are on the trail. We're supposed to be here. Here's how you navigate this part of the trail. You know, if you find yourself in a wilderness or a desert, a guide can say, you know, I know the author. He has a purpose in this. Let's just continue to walk in it. He has a purpose for those dark places. So they know the map. They know the train. They know where you are. They kind of know the spiritual landscape of life, what, what the spiritual life is like. I think I said this wrong a minute ago. They know you individually. Um, they get to know you on the journey. A lot of one-on-one -on -one time. That's what it takes on the trail. A lot of one-on-one -on -one time. Listening, hearing the story of the person, helping them learn how their story fits into the story, how to apply it. You know, a good guide knows when the person he's taking needs to be challenged. They know their limitations. Uh, they know when they need rest. That's really important. Um, G1 and I went and did a mountain last summer. We did Sherman. And he's this young 20-year-old like guy. And, you know, so, you know, you, when you're taking, he'd never been up on a 14er before, so I'm having to tell him all the stuff to do. Like, when we were about, when we were about a thousand feet from the summit, when, he, when you're really high and it was really steep, and he's just walking like it's nothing, like he's on a street, I had to teach him how to stop and rest, you know. I'm like, dude, every 20 feet, you got to stop and do this, like, <sighs> so he goes, okay, that's cool. So, you know, he just, he bent over and looked at me, and <laughs> you got to, <laughs> you know, you got to know when they need rest. Yeah, you know, he's up, he got to the top and he was like, hey, this was cool. And I'm like, boy, am I glad I made it. Uh, that was a tough one. That last thousand feet was okay. But they know you individually. Does that make sense? Um, a good guide assists you in any way needed, whatever it takes, whatever resources, whatever sacrifice. They know when to help. They also know when to back off, right? Let, let you learn the ropes through experience which is PC for falling flat on your face and failing and getting back up again. But most importantly, a good guide, a good Sherpa helps you get to the summit. That's, that's what it's about, right? That's the point. To help you, to take somebody along and help them to learn to live into God's mission, to help them to be formed and conformed and transformed in the image of Jesus, to help them learn to live into the way of Jesus, to help them learn how to be restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. 
my job, and really it's not just my job, it's our job because the command of Jesus in Matthew 28, 2 Timothy 2 was not just to Garen or to Jordan, it was to all of us who follow Jesus that we don't just reach for the summit ourselves but that we bring somebody along. Does that make sense? That's, that's for all of us. And our success is not just striving for the summit and making progress. Our success is as we go, we bring somebody along with us. That's what success is. That's success. So companions and a guide, they overlap in a lot of ways, but they also, you can't replace a guide with just companions. Uh, have you ever seen six guys trying to figure out a map together? Okay, that's not good, right? Sometimes you need the guide who just knows the map and who can help you out. So Steve and Jacob, come up. We need to talk for a minute. Come on up, guys. And while they're coming up, you guys can grab your chairs. I hope you brought, like, coffee with you because I have mine. Oh, I'm so disappointed. Oh, you got a, what is that? Is that a, okay. Hey, and as they're getting seats, if you weren't here Easter, we passed out a thing you can keep in your Bible that has the story of God on a card. It's got all five parts of the story. It's got the four relationships, and if you didn't, if you weren't here and didn't get one of those, we made these for a couple things. One, to keep in your Bible to help you as you read through the Bible, where am I in the story, but also as a way to use this if, like, whoever, my friend, I mean, I know who it was, who shared with three people, it'd be great to give them one of these. It'd be great to use it, you know, if you're talking to somebody to, to have it on the side. So if you didn't get one of these on Easter, come on up. They're up here, and you can come grab one after the service. So, all right. Are you guys ready for this? Okay. Oh, we need a microphone. That's pretty important. Otherwise, we're going to have a conversation. Nobody's going to hear what we're saying. Maybe that's good. Huh? Speak loud. Shout. So, Lowen's a, Welsh just came here about 2009, 2010, right? Steve and Lisa have been here since the Middle Ages. Um, oh. Aaron, you know we haven't been here since before the Revolutionary War. Oh, not before the Revolutionary War. Okay. Um, and actually, when we talked a few weeks, actually two months ago, about this, Jacob, you actually told me, because we had just talked about the need for covenant friends, and you told, and how most guys are friendless by their 50s, but it was going down, and you told me, you said you had become friendless, you were one of those friendless guys by your 30s, is that right? Okay, so, here's my question, how'd you guys get to know each other? How'd you guys get to become friends? Yeah, we were in the same small group for three or four years, and so... I know one of the ways that we got to know each other well was at the end of small group time, the guys and the gals would always split into separate groups. And so just from praying together and holding each other accountable, we got to know each other fairly well. Also did things outside of small group, uh, game nights, fun things like that. So. Okay. And then, Jacob, one day out of hunger and a need, you picked up the phone and called Steve, right? Uh, yeah, so I would say it was kind of a little bit born out of crisis uh, mode, but um, yeah, I called Steve and he answered the phone call. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. It's the first time. It, it is amazing, actually. <laughs> answer the phone call, right? Don't ignore it. Uh, and we all want to know what the crisis is. Would you please tell us in detail like what that was? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. You were, you were all kind of intimidated at first when you called him, right? That was not an easy step. Well, I mean, Steve's a life group leader, right, and a deacon, and has gray hair, so he's supposed to be wiser and everything, right? So, um, 
yeah, very intimidating at, at first, but, um, you know, walking alongside kind of get to figure out, hey, he's just a normal person, I guess, just like anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> pretty normal, right? <laughs> Quite average. Uh, very ordinary, I would say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know this is Roast Steve Day. Um, we didn't tell you that. Okay, tell me what's really important, I think. What, tell me about that initial five to six months. What, what did that look like? Well, it started out really just um, phone calls daily um, just to, to check in and... Um, you know, ask some questions like, are you in the word? Are you, uh, you know, are you, how are you treating your wife and your kids and how are you doing? Um, just questions along those lines, uh, regularly stated. Um, also just, we started meeting together once a week and part of the time we did studying a scripture. Other times we studied like Kyle Eidelman's book, Gods at Wars, which is talking about idolatry in our lives, looking at that. Um, accountability texting regularly became a thing. In fact, I think Jacob maybe taught me how to text during that time. That's, that, I bet that's probably true. <laughs> you want to know more? Yeah, any other thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the, one of the big things was uh, just being in the Word. Um, I think with Steve... I would call with a real-life question, or we would talk about a real-life question, and it's point, he would point me back to Scripture. Well, what does Scripture say about that? And it's, I don't know, Scripture was written a long time ago. I don't, how's that supposed to impact my life nowadays? But it, he would always stay grounded in that and keep me going back towards Scripture, I think. So that was always good. And what were some of the key attributes you saw in him as that person to you? stood out, Jacob. Let me refer to my notes. <laughs> yeah, just, just the, um, the big things of keeping me uh, grounded in the Word. Um, he, like I said, he always pointed me back to that. Um, but Steve was always willing to be uh, vulnerable too. So um, he would, like I said, I learned along the way that he's just another um, human being just like anybody else and goes through things just the same as anybody else. Okay. So always pointing you to the map, so to speak, and yeah. that this being your guide. And also... I, w- I would say, if I can add, yeah. I-, I would say, there w- I mean, if I can refer to a, a movie, as Garen so frequently does, um, Rafiki here and Simba um, from The Lion King... There was a point in time, I think, when, when I called him, and I was, I was pretty desperate, and I was pretty, um, pretty down on my knees, I think, and I, I told Steve on the phone that I can't do that. I, I, can't, do, I can't do this. And he, uh, you know, expecting to hear the, well, yes, you can. You can do this. No, he hit me over the head, as Rafiki did, and uh, said, you're right. No, you can't. You need to rely on God. And uh, that was so impactful in my life. We also just this Friday learned something about Steve none of us ever knew, that he puts mayonnaise on sausage, yeah. cheese biscuits, I mean McMuffins and McDonald's. That mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Kind mayonnaise. Of. I think Rafiki does that, I'm pretty sure. 
Steve, what did you notice about him that, that made this all work? One of the things I really appreciated about Jacob is that he wanted to apply God's word uh, to his life. Saw that often in small group time, but also saw a real compassion for others. And if there, he saw a need, he was one who would either attempt to, to meet that need or gather a group together to try and meet the need and um, just really saw truly he is a leader. And then how that morphed, that initial five to six months you described, it kind of morphed and became a little different. What, how was it different? after that initial period? Yeah, we, um, it, it became much more mutual, I would say, in terms of holding each other accountable, asking each other similar questions, uh, continuing to text and, you know, ask during the week. So, you know, would you, what did God teach you this week from the Word? Um, no longer in the same small group, but still continuing to, to get together every you know, couple weeks as much as, as much as our schedules will allow for that. One final question, Steve, because um, there are people out here thinking there is no way I can do what he did. Um, how hard is this, Steve? Um, it, it's not difficult at all. I think it really just takes intention, um, understanding that along the way, um, I'm going to speak probably more to the men, but we know our weaknesses and we want to fix our own weaknesses and knowing that our strength isn't in trying to do it alone. In fact, we, we don't get there when we try and be strong in ourselves, but kind of that cord of two or three strands is not easily broken, like it says in, in Ecclesiastes. Um, we need each other to get through the, the journey to reach the summit. Yeah. You don't have to be a Bible scholar? No. Do you know Greek? Um, I learned two words today. Don't ask me what they were. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Hebrew? Do you, have, do you have a seminary degree, Steve? No, I do no. not. How's your church history? You knowledgeable um, in it? Uh, yeah, I can only go back to the Revolutionary War. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to be an expert, right? No, to do not at all. And then, yeah, we'll just wrap up. I know Jacob, uh, I mean, it's not just stop there. God used you to impact others, right? Yeah, uh, just, I mean, we started leading a life group recently uh, in the last couple of years, and I think being, having the opportunity to call Steve even from time to time and bounce things off of him or, or even, um, you know, kind of in a crisis within the life group, being able to talk with uh, a certain man and talk with things, and um, I think has been encouraging. Um, I feel pushed towards doing more, though, like Steve is ready for me to go on my own way type of thing, but uh, in an encouraging way, not in a, not in a bad way, yeah. if that makes sense. Another Rafiki. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of thing. Okay. All right, guys, that's good. Yep. Can we thank them for, for doing that? Thank you, guys. Yeah, um... That's probably the most helpful thing this morning is just hearing from real-life people, right? Um, can I end with just a few? Um, yeah, by the way, there's a book that really impacted me called The Fabric of Faithfulness, and Steve Garber, who works with young people, found that young people, so if, you want, if you're wanting your child, your teen, to grow up and continue to love and follow God, your college student when they go away, he found three things in the lives of people who, were, who faithfully followed God throughout their life. And that was 
They knew the map. They had companions. And they had a guide. And if they were missing one of those, the likelihood of them continuing would drop a lot, that all three were really important. So um, this is nothing new. So I want to end just with some application, if you don't mind. Number one, I challenge you to have a Sherpa. How many times have you asked, man, I wish I could have asked somebody who was farther in the way, farther along than I was about that before I, I fell, fell down. I mean, I, st I still ask those questions. We all need a guide. Um, we, all, we all need a, a Rafiki. I like that, Rafiki. Secondly, I want to challenge you to be a Sherpa. That at some point in your journey, at some point, probably sooner rather than later, to be a guide, to have an apprentice, to have a Timothy, to invite somebody along the journey with you. Just to come along somebody with the desire to accelerate what God is doing in their life. That's all. Don't need to be an expert. You just have to have been a little further down the, the path, the journey. That's all it takes. I love Acts 4.13 where it says, Of the 12 followers of Jesus, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were, what kind of men were they? They were ordinary. No special training in the scriptures. They were men who had just been with Jesus, okay? Um, I'm the most, if you got to know me, I'm the most ordinary guy in the world. But all you need is a love for God and a desire to see other people come along with you. That's all you need, a love for God and a desire for other people to grow. And to just identify somebody around you who's not as far down the journey and just to say, hey, Let's just be, let's spend time together and you just walk with them. You walk with them. It's biblical. This is what we're called to do. You know, Jesus' job is to build the church. Our job is to make disciples. That's our job. Um, and in this whole thing of like being a guide and having a guide, this is really going to become important in the way kind of we do things around here. So if you're really hungry for that or you're wanting to like launch in, I mean, I've been talking to some of the ministries, the men, the women, just be patient. We're kind of right now laying the foundation, creating the, the soil, the culture, the ethos for this so that we can kind of do this well. So if you're really hungry, just be patient. You know, it doesn't mean you can't grab somebody even today and ask them to walk with you, but just, um, just be patient with us as we kind of get some things ready and prep some things so that we can start becoming a multiplying body. I mean, that's going on already, but we're just wanting to ramp it up a little because it really is the way of Jesus. So I, I really encourage you to be thinking about, you know, if in the next six months there were to be one person you could take along with you, who would that one be, right? Because it's restoring all things to God one person at a time. So who would that one be? would that one be? One more thing I want to add about the Sherpas. Um, yeah, no, I want to, thir third thing is I want to challenge you to replicate yourself. Because um, this whole idea of multiplication doesn't just apply to walking with God, but it also applies a lot to people growing in their ability to serve and use their gifts within this body. And so here's really something, I've been talking with some of the teams about this, as we move forward at 12th, part of creating a multiplication culture is that everybody at 12th who serves in some way, 
that everybody who's an usher, everybody who leads a team, who does sound, who's on worship, who works with internationals, who, who does the, the quilts the, in whatever area, it's the coffee in the back, that we're, we're going to really start asking that you, whatever area you serve, that you bring somebody along in that with you, that you replicate yourself, because that's what healthy cells do, right? They divide and they replicate, that we really want to get to our culture. We're not just helping somebody walk with God together with them, but whatever we do in ministry, we want to train people to do what we do, to bring them along for the ride, to teach them, to pass on to the skills that we have. Um, so that's a third way that I'd like to see us apply this. And the thing I love about the Sherpas, if I can get back to them, that I love so much, they're the most skilled mountain climbers in the world, but nobody knows their name. Nobody knows their name. Because their job isn't about notoriety, it isn't about success, it isn't about them like doing great things. It's just unnamed people who are trying to take some other people to the summit with them. So I'm not saying we're doing this, but just for all of us, just let's all quit trying to make a name for ourselves. Let's be willing to be the nameless person who just takes somebody along who will take it a lot further than we could. Does that make sense? Uh, I really am not interested in being a sage on the stage. The thing I'm really, where my heart is at, is I want to be a guide on the side. I want to be a Sherpa. So if you really want to make a mark, if you really want to leave a legacy, it's not by you just doing something by yourself, either your ministry by yourself or your walk with God by yourself. It is in training the next generation. That's how you leave a legacy. That's how you leave a legacy. And Bob Buford, he realized that and he made that shift in his real life when he realized that if the only fruit in his life was his own fruit, that that was a small life. And so he changed the way he did things. And then he became famous for this quote, my fruit grows on other people's trees. Isn't that a great quote? Sure, you should be fruitful. But instead of the focus being on your fruit, it's like I'm going to develop people and take them along because... I want my fruit to grow on other people's trees. And if it becomes a multiplying thing to where my fruit grows on two people's trees and then they have two people, can you imagine how much fruit you're growing through those people? So who's your one? Who's your, who's your protege? I just, I want to be a part of a kingdom movement. That means having a missional mindset and it means having a multiplying mindset. A missional mindset and a multiplying mindset. So... Twelve, can we stand? So on this journey, this next season of our life, may Jesus always be our captain. May our quest be the kingdom of God and his mission to restore all things to himself so that we are restorers, working to restore all things to God, one person, one place at a time. And on that journey with the kingdom, our quest is to become kingdom people, people who are formed in the image of Jesus, who walk in his way, who live for his fame. And to do that, we've got to have three things on this journey, right? We've got to have a map. We've got to have companions. And we all need a guide. So can we become that kind of a community in this next season? So Father, make us into those kinds of people. We want to be kingdom people. We want to be people who follow you, Jesus, who live for you. We want to be restorers with you. And Lord, make us a people of your word who know the map, 
of people who really dig into those life groups and those, just those organic things, friendships on the side, that, that we would dig deeper into that part of who we are and make us a community of people that, Lord, we've all got a guide and we are a guide. That we're just living to help get other people to that summit. We want to be that kind of community. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our captain. Amen. So, you are sent. Go and be the church.